Welcome to The Brainstorm, a podcast and video series from ARK Invest. Tune in every week as we react to the latest in innovation and reflect on how short-term news impacts our long-term views. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARK Investment Management LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. ARK and Public are unaffiliated entities and do not have a relationship with respect to either firm marketing or selling the products or services of the other. And therefore, ARK disclaims responsibility for any loss that may be incurred by public's clients or customers. The information provided in this show is for informational purposes only and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision and is subject to change without notice. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARK and investors should determine for themselves whether a particular investment management service is suitable for their investment needs. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC and or show guests and are not endorsements by ARC of any company or security or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in the show may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. ARC assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking information. ARC and its clients, as well as its related persons, may, but do not necessarily, have financial interests in securities or issuers that are discussed. Certain information was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information obtained from any third party. Welcome to episode 22 of The Brainstorm. Today we're talking Square, AI regulation, and SpaceX's Starlink. Andrew, is Jack back? Jack is back. So Block reported third quarter earnings last week, uh, beating on both top and bottom consensus. Um, I thought it was the best call from them in recent memory. And the actual results and near-term guidance were, in my view, uh, less important than Jack Dorsey's comments that reaffirmed, I think, significant investor confidence in Block as a potential winner in the US digital wallet race. Wait, so uh, Andrew, before, before we get in, Seeing up this, the last I heard was there was there was internal drama, right? This was before earnings. And I think there's a Bloomberg article saying, you know, Cash App and uh, more legacy square were were bumping heads. Was this was this resolved on that call? Yeah, so I think the information did a deep dive on the multi-year conflict between Cash App and Square, namely just rivalry within um, Block overall, and um, that kind of has inhibited the company from you know unlocking real product and cost synergies with direct collaboration between the two teams. And Dorsey explicitly acknowledged this during this past call, um, saying that you know like. I understand that um, these two teams have been historically siloed, and um, what we're going to emphasize is, you know, cross-team collaboration going forward, um, including an explicit kind of hint at some sort of deep commerce integration between Cash App and Square uh, to be announced um, in early 2024. All right. So then, what what else did we hear on the call? 
So yeah, I mean, just as con uh, for uh, context here, um, in October, we learned of Alyssa Henry, uh, who was the CEO of Block's Square division. Um, she uh, departed after nearly 10 years at the company, and Jack Dorsey stepped into her role, um, becoming more involved in the day-to-day -day operations uh, for Block's seller ecosystem initiatives. And um, he outlined explicitly a couple of things on the call, uh, one targeting reaching the rule of 40 in 2026 with an initial composition of um, mid-teens uh, gross profit growth and uh, mid-teens operating margins, right? And um, I think there was less certainty on whether uh, Dorsey was going to stay in this role for a long time before the call, but uh, during the call, he uh, committed to a uh, remaining the CEO of the Square division until Block reaches several mi milestones, um, including a significant return to growth uh, verbatim. And um, other than that, and the Cash App and Square hint, um, Dorsey was all over generative AI, talking about how AI is going to be key to kind of uh, unlocking top-line growth acceleration um, while uh, maintaining operating expense efficiency. And um, all of these, you know, uh, commitments were music to investors' ears, I think. Um, but for me, I think that part, uh, particular point on that collaboration between Cash App and Square is um, really interesting because it kind of resonates so much with our uh, last big ideas digital wallet thesis, right? We outlined specifically how you know, people can use Cash App uh, as a primary bank account and hold, you know, meaningful deposits on the platform and Block could directly debit consumer Cash App balances and transfer them to, say, uh, Square merchants accounts, right? With any debit transaction occurring between uh, Cash App customers and Square customers and bypass uh, legacy issuers and card networks in the process, right? Potentially yeah, Andrew, maybe, their net maybe... take rate. Maybe I can pull you pull you out here for a second. Sure. Uh, Eli five here. What's what's the thesis on uh, mobile digital wallets? Well, I think the thesis here is that um, value accrual will. I think vertical software plays that can sell digital wallets to both consumer and merchant ecosystems. Uh, are in a great position to capture the most value in a payment value chain. All right, and it's so that's the Li five. That and and so then it sounds like you know these these are all just steps along the way to making that the reality. Yeah, I mean, like having access to the millions of Square merchants in the U.S. within your Cash App, right? Um, is a really, really powerful uh, discovery channel, right? And um, if customers are directly transacting with these merchants in uh, Cash App without going through like separate um, checking accounts or separate like credit cards or debit cards, then mm -hmm. um, it uh, positions Square really, uh, Block really well to power a closed loop payment ecosystem, right? Saving a lot of costs along the way. And so in your mind, what's kind of the, the failure mechanism here you know obviously they can come in and they can make guidance dorsey can come in jack is back fireworks off in the background um what what's kind of the the risk here and you know what you're watching to see that they stay on track in realizing this goal sure i mean first step is to acknowledge the problem right which dorsey has done 
I think second step is for us to actually see collaboration, right, between Cash App and Square. And um, I think it's much more of a show me story going forward now that uh, we explicitly understand that management has acknowledged at least the multi-year kind of issue brewing at the company. Um, and I'm very excited for Q1, Q2 of next year uh, to hopefully see something in action and hopefully see consumers uh, rapidly adopt uh, whatever um, Block has implemented uh, in terms of you know bringing more Square merchants explicitly onto the Cash App surface. Great. Uh, let's Let's jump on. I know, Andrew, you spent a lot of time now uh, looking at regulation and you know there's the executive order from biden and we can maybe i'll just read the the headline there right you can look on the fact sheet president biden issues executive order on safe secure and trustworthy artificial intelligence is this similar to the early regulation of cars on roads and we're going to have someone walking in front with a red flag saying you know watch out there's a car here we don't want to scare any horses uh or is this necessary as part of the development of these super powerful AI agents. Yeah, so um, more specifically on the executive order, what we understand as of now is that foundation model developers will have to adhere to some reporting testing requirements and for new models to undergo certain tests right before they are commercially released. And uh, we don't really know what these guidelines are, right, because they are to be developed over the course of the next three to nine months. Um, and I guess we will see in action, like how draconian these compliance requirements will be, but it seems like the covert goals of already established and well-funded, you know, commercial foundation model platforms are coming to fruition, right? Like, um, how will startups challenge incumbent foundation models without relying on their base models, basically, if they are going to be subject to like really robust compliance requirements that they might not be able to afford at all. Right. And I think there are parallels to be made to like the monopoly that AT&T um, operated right within residential business and long distance telephone services for 60 years right before its breakup in um, the early 80s. Right. And like even by the early 1900s, I think the general public and the government understood how powerful it was, right, with over, I think, 50% telephone market share at the time. And the evolution of, you know, Alexander Bell's Bell Telephone Company and later AT&T all hinged on, you know, extremely aggressive patent infringement lawsuits since inception, inhibiting any competition from reaching scale as AT&T, you know, continued to acquire assets and raise barriers to entry. And the government seemed to have very little problem with this as seen in a 1921 act called um, the Willis-Graham Act, right, which waived telephone exchange mergers from antitrust scrutiny if re regulators approved the buyout, right? And by 1932, AT&T controlled like 80% of telephones and had the only long distance network in the US. Yeah, and I feel like this is an interesting, um wrinkle in the narrative that was forming because already right you had this huge wave everyone's like, oh my god these models uh they're gonna be you know amazing they're gonna capture tons of value and then i would say probably within the last four months the narrative has been actually it's a it's a race to zero these are all going to be commoditized you know meta out there open sourcing llama 2 um you've got grok coming out 
And now this, you know, as you're saying, this type of regulation could be overbearing enough such that maybe there is value capture for the existing players. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, and I think there's something kind of eerily similar with the foundation models narratives today. And again, with AT&T, right? As in like they AT&T achieved their spree of acquisitions and regulatory complacency alongside this like consistent marketing campaign of treating telco as like a quasi public good, right? With AT&T aiming to offer this like universal service to the company. And maybe this is a stretch a little bit here, but like, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of upfront costs to train larger and more performant models, right? And OpenAI's kind of like publicly voiced concerns around AI safety and the need for regulation and like AGI as a human right and universal human tool and universal basing income, like all of these things kind of feel eerily reminiscent of early days telco. Um, and I think US regulators kind of have to get it right now, right? In that like, Benchmarks Bill Gurley talked about regulatory capture with the Telecom Act in 19, 1996, right? Uh, recently, I think like two months ago, he talked about this, um, which it was an act that was aimed to increase competition after like nearly, um, you know, a century, right, of mo monopoly or very high market concentration in the vertical. And all it ended up doing was benefiting incumbents and their subsequent M&A sprees, propping up lobbying budgets and making the space uninvestable for venture capitalists. So even if like this current wave of AI regulation ends up in further market concentration among the open AIs of the world, um, like a future regulation that tries to revert that could end up exacerbating the process too. So um, very interesting times here. Unsure what's going to happen, but um, we always have to thank, I guess, regulation for keeping things more interesting than they have to be, right? Right. So then maybe maybe uh, I'll just try and frame takeaways here. Tell me if, if I'm, I'm hitting them or I'm missing. One, definitely a wrinkle to the story. Uh, the thing to be cautious about is, is this overburdensome that's going to stifle competition and lead to regulatory capture for incumbents? Um, and then the second point, I think I'll just throw out kind of our existing thesis here, and I think it applies with or without regulation, which is that a unique data set and unique distribution are what's going to lead to high value um, AI networks. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Uh, there's a question of like how much value kind of resides at the foundation model layer if regulatory capture kind of ensues, right? Meaning that there may be like less um, value to be captured at the application layer or at the layer that like houses unique, say, proprietary data. Um, but I think your broader point of, you know, um, consumers, uh, not consumers, but like people at the end of the day are going to be interacting with some sort of abstracted interface, right? And that has historically meant applications. That could also mean like new AI models that kind of sit at the, uh, in the middle between like people and the foundation models provided by say OpenAI and Anthropic and the like. Um, but I would generally agree with everything you've said. Um, Except for it's, I think it's like unclear now with regulation how um, 
overall revenue will be shared among market participants. And that's, that's what makes it interesting. That's why we brainstorm. That's why we brainstorm. All right. Last topic of the day. And one that I think is particularly exciting is SpaceX Starlink. There's a tweet from Elon Musk last week, excited to announce that at SpaceX at Starlink has achieved break-even cash flow. Excellent work by a great team. That's pretty incredible um, for a number of reasons. One, I'll start from just the business aspect and history here. Most satellite constellations that have ever been launched as a business have gone bankrupt. Um, and I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why that's happened, but one of them is there's a huge amount of capital. And then there's this huge valley of death. That is the time between investing all of this money, putting those satellites up into space and then hiring in or not hiring, acquiring all the customers to actually increase utilization of that network. So, you know, maybe you can't actually start getting customers on the platform until you have a certain number of satellites up. And so that's a huge amount of cost. And then if there's enough time between you getting customers and when you got to pay the bills, uh, that leads to the collapse. So having a, you know, default alive satellite constella constellation where they can self-fund uh, is is definitely remarkable in the history of space. A uh, huge part of that is, you know, reusable rockets and the amazing work from SpaceX there. And then I think the other side of this that people are speculating on is that in the past, Elon has said that when there are predictable cash flows for Starlink, they would consider spinning it out. And so everyone's always uh, excited by that uh, prospect. I think you know it's still early reaching break even and having predictable cash flows um, don't necessarily come uh, right on top of each other but this is a huge mark in time for the future of internet connection and uh, starlink so when will we get free wi-fi on all flights sam uh free wi-fi on all flights I don't think it'll ever be free. I think it'll probably get bundled into your ticket price and you'll be paying for it, but you'll say it's free. Um, and I think that is coming in the next, I'll say five years. The problem is with airlines, it's, it's tough for them to make these big uh, acquisitions and then deploy it across their fleet. But we've seen some airlines partner with SpaceX um, others have partnered with other providers. I think the reality is that, you know, this is already a fact for cruise ships. It seems like the cruise ships are are jumping onto Starlink uh, far faster than than the airlines. So, Andrew, you got to go take a cruise, play some play some League of Legends or some some games, see how the internet works out. All right, sounds good. Uh, there you have it. Uh, thank you for joining us for episode 22, and we will see you next week.